Whoa. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just... <laughs> okay, so here's how you know we're all getting back to work. Elliot, can you repeat for the podcast audience what you just said to me and Amal a couple of seconds before we started recording this podcast? I just did a Peloton, took a great hot shower. I've got my feet on the foot massager. I am ready to go. Is this like training camp for you now? <laughs> yes, I guess it is. <laughs> okay, so here's the news, folks. Oh, by the way, you know what the funniest thing about this is? The best joke I was having with some players that one of the biggest victories for them is the limit on training camp. Hmm? They're under the impression that, for example, that on ice testing, short sprints or anaerobic testing no longer than 90 seconds. So John Tortorella, this is an open challenge. I'm going to call this the Tortorella rule. This is an open challenge. He had that brutal skate that he always used to start with. And I believe this now is under the threshold. So how in Columbus... It's almost like they're challenging him. They're saying, you can't do what you regularly like to do. Yeah. What are you going to come up with? So if you're, let's say, Nick Foligno. If I played for the Blue Jackets, I'd be terrified of what he's going to come up with if he's banned from doing his two-minute skate. If you're Nick Foligno, then captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets, do you have a stopwatch with you telling the guys to stop at 90 seconds? You might. So he has he has a sprint skating <laughs> test and usually a three mile run. I think that's what it was. Uh, well, congratulations! Uh, that is one of of many wins here for the players, and it's a win for the NHL. They're uh, they're getting their season started, and you know who the big winners are. If you're a goalie, come on down. How many new jobs are up for grabs here, Elliot Friedman? Unlimited goalies in training camp. You have to take three on your roster with you during the year. There were a lot of tweets back at me about where do I sign or I'm available and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a goaltender that didn't have a job yet, like a Ryan Miller or a Jimmy Howard, I wonder if this is going to mean you get a call. A lot of people are wondering about what Washington's going to do now that Lundquist, unfortunately, couldn't play and wanted to send my best to Lundquist. You know, last week we saw that video and it was so heartbreaking to watch. Yep. And then I saw it again. They replayed it again when I was doing a hit on the NHL network a few hours later. And it wasn't any easier the second time. So I think there's a lot of curiosity about what the Capitals are going to do. They, they seem to say they're going to start with their top two goaltenders being Samsonov and Vanacek, who was with them in the bubble last year. But we'll see. Like, we'll see what they how, how they decide to look at things. There's going to be a lot of availability out there. Okay, so here it is. 56 games, the North, the West, the Central, the East. But what do we know about the Canadian division? Is this a 100% lock, Elliot? So... The thing I'm worried about is we're taping this on Sunday night and Amal's going to edit it and release it first thing Monday morning. Things could change quick. This is what I've heard. There was a call. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for this one. I heard it wasn't always easy. BC, like they were with the bubble, 
when the bubble was supposed to go there and ended up not going there, they are the most stringent province. I believe the Canucks are aware of the possibility that they're either going to have to start potentially with a long road trip or maybe play in Edmonton. Um, Some players have told me that all that stuff is being floated around. But I've also heard that Ontario and Quebec have also not given their approval yet. Ontario is now announcing it's going into a lockdown on Christmas Eve. I mean, we'll see. I think they're more confident about Ontario and Quebec than they are about BC, but nothing is done until it's done. And I've heard that the Canucks players have been at least made aware of the possibility they're either going to start with a long road trip or a road trip mm-hmm. or the possibility of potentially playing in Edmonton. They can't go to Calgary, I don't think, because Edmonton's just a better arena. So if you're going to have a choice, you're going to play there. Uh, do we know if the Leafs, the Sens, the Habs have a contingency? One of the Montreal players told me that there was a rumor going around that they might play in Toronto, but if Ontario's not, if they had to, not for sure, yeah, yeah. but if they had to, don't everybody go crazy about this. But I just got this sense that while nothing's done, they're more confident about the possibility in Ontario and Quebec than they are about BC. I think they realize mm-hmm. that BC is going to be the toughest province. You know, the other thing that could happen here, Jeff, is could there be an Edmonton hub in Canada. What happens, for example, if like BC and Ontario and Quebec put up a united front and none of those four teams can play there? Well, then does everybody start in Edmonton? You know, could that possibly happen? Or four teams start in Edmonton? I mean, all of this stuff, we've got a couple weeks to figure this out. Oh, well, training camps, we'll see. Montreal is the one team that doesn't have permission to do training camp yet. But we'll see. Like, all this stuff is in the air. Now, while we were doing this, San Jose announced that they're beginning their training camp in Arizona, but did not commit to regular season in Arizona. This is just me wondering. But I'm wondering if there's any chance the Sharks could end up playing in Kansas City. Why Kansas City? And we've seen exhibition games there before when the Penguins were going through their ownership situation and rumors of we're taking this thing to Kansas City. We'll see you later. The NHL had to go around with Kansas City in the 70s with the scouts. It's owned by AEG, owner of the LA Kings. You always look for that. Okay. Maybe it's a kind of trial run. Like I don't know. It just makes sense. And also, don't forget, you have two teams in the central time zone in that division, the St. Louis and Minnesota. It balances out the travel a little bit. Is that rink ready for hockey? Oh, yeah. That rink could host hockey. And I want to shout out friend of the pod, Paul McGannon. Nobody in Kansas City loves hockey more than Paul McGannon. And... uh I hope it happens for him because he'd be very excited. But, you know, I'm just saying that I could see the league at least looking at the possibility of that because it's an AEG rank, and I bet you AEG would love to have a team in there. Why do you say that? I'm just thinking about this. They've got two central time zone teams there in St. Louis and Minnesota, so it adds a third one, balances out the travel a bit, 
and maybe it gives the NHL a trial run there. So what changed, Elliot, late last week? At the beginning of the week, there was some skepticism about the January 13th start date, which has been the target uh, from the league for quite some time. Uh, It was looking like or trending towards something in February, and then that seemed to change suddenly on Friday. What happened last week? I just think they decided we have to come up with a plan and we have to go. We have to play. So this is the go and adapt model that we've talked about. This is the baseball, but just get started. Don't overthink it. Just get started and figure it out as you go along. What I've heard is that on the board of governors call on Sunday, you know, they voted to support it. I mean, what else were they going to do? They're going to support the plan, Mm -hmm. but they understand there's a lot of hurdles. Like right now, they want to open up in their buildings with fans. And that is the goal. And at the time that we tape this, both Dallas and Florida have said they're going to try to have fans in their building. I know that other teams expected that Vegas would try to have fans in their building too if they're allowed to. But there's no guarantees with anything. I think everyone recognizes this. Mm-hmm. They're going to try. There's going to be a lot of obstacles. I mean, look, look at what's going on in the world around us. I mean, you have to be a complete ignoramus not to see what the challenges are. But at some point, you have to say, this is our plan, and we're going to try. And I think they realized if they didn't get it done before the holidays, it was going to grind to a halt. And instead of just moving everybody back a week, it could be longer. I think the players wanted to vote on it. I just think we got to a point, Jeff, where everyone said, screw it, let's go, let's approve it, and let's see where we go from there. I think we all have a number of questions here and not all of us um, have read the, what is it? 62 page document. Yeah. I'm not sure how deep you've got into it. I know you like to take things like this to the beach and read them poolside. (laughs) That's just how you roll in the summertime. But um, what is the biggest question that you have about this thing? Well, I haven't seen the schedule yet. The only game that I really know about is I've heard Anaheim's opening up in Vegas. I don't know why I know that, but that's one of the ones I've heard. <laughs> okay. Someone told me that. The schedule's supposed to come later in the week. You know, we, we know what the divisions are now. I think that's what we're all waiting for now is the schedule, mm-hmm. is to see what exactly it's going to look like. You know, we have all the dates. And now I think the other thing we're going to have to wait for is, let's see the moves start coming. I think the moves could start coming anytime now. So your Hoffmans and your Sammy Vatnins, et cetera, here come the Zidane Chara. here come the signings? I checked on Chara, and they still think they have a little bit of time. Obviously, there's still time. Mm-hmm. Well, now we know how the cap is going to work. And I actually think it's pretty interesting how they did this. They've basically said that you're going to be able to bank cap space by keeping your roster at 20 and putting guys on your taxi squad. So on days where you're not playing, Ah. you're going to see a lot of paper moves to put guys on the taxi squad. And if they're making, either you can take off 1.075 million, or if they're making under that, you save their cap space, right? So you'll see a lot of paper moves and things like that. Like this guy's on the cap. So I think that's a smart move by the Players Association to agree with that too. So I think you'll see your Barzal signing 
I think you'll see your Dubois signing and you'll see your UFAs, your, your Granlins, your Hollas, your Vatnins, your Hoffmans. Probably see a couple more goalies get signed. All this stuff. How quickly does Tampa undo the knot? Well, Tampa has until obviously puck drop, which right now is scheduled for the 13th. I know that some people have credited me with this. It, it wasn't my scoop. It was in, and we don't even know if it's true yet. But it was it was in a year. I saw it in a European. Someone sent it to me from Europe, where somebody I think in either Russia or the Czech Republic reported that Tyler Johnson might get traded for Detroit for the LTIR of Henrik Zetterberg, which actually makes a lot of sense. And we'll see if that's actually true. But I, I do think you'll see Tampa and the Islanders and all these teams kind of make their moves. Somebody told me too that Montreal might not be done that Bergevin still wants to make his team better. Yeah. And it fits his MO, right? Like, he's not afraid. And he's made the moves to say we're going back to the playoffs. I have a few questions about the status of players. Yep. Um, You mentioned the taxi squad, and there are a couple of things that I wonder about here. One is if a player tests positive, Uh what is his status and what happens to his cap hit? I haven't read the document yet. Do you know? Okay, so there's there's a couple of things. One thing I did notice here is that if a player tests positive, teams are allowed to put him on LTIR right away. Normally, you need the approval of a doctor and a player is entitled to a second opinion if you want to go into onto LTIR because if you're on there, the team can go over the cap by your hit. Normally, you need doctor's approval to do that. For this year, you're allowed to immediately put the player on LTIR so you can use their cap space. However, if you put the player on LTIR, he has to stay on it for 10 games or 24 days. Right. Okay. The one thing about this year is, Jeff, is that you could play 10 games in a lot fewer than 24 days. Mm -hmm. Even though we haven't seen the final schedule yet, it's going to be pretty compressed. But that's the workaround that they've created. You don't need permission from a doctor to put uh, someone who tests positive on LTIR. You can do it right away. You just know you lose them for the minimum amount of time. The other thing that I wonder about here, Elliot, is what happens with trades? Now, the deadline is April 12th. Yep. And given the reality of the Canadian teams and the the U.S.-based teams... What happens to a player that gets traded from the Rangers to the Habs? Or do we see minimal movement because of what that would entail? I've been told that there's no restrictions on trades, but you have to follow all quarantine rules. So if a player has to come into Canada, so let's say the Sharks and the Canadians make a trade, Yep. If the player has to cross the border, he has to follow all quarantine rule, uh, rules before he can play for the Canadians. Same for the Sharks, really. Right. So what happens to that cap hit while the player is quarantined? That I cannot answer as we do this. Because all this brings up a lot of questions about status of players. Like, what are you during quarantine? What are you vis-a-vis the, the, the cap uh, during quarantine? It's funny when uh, when the Vancouver issue popped up over the weekend, I texted someone with the Kraken and said, 
Canucks to Seattle. Uh, and they texted back, would make scouting a lot easier. The expansion draft, July 21st. So here's the other complication through all this. Not only do general managers need to stick handle essentially an entire new CBA, try to fit in games, try to keep everybody as healthy as possible, but also do so knowing that there is an expansion draft on the horizon. Does the expansion draft complicate a lot of things now for a lot of teams? Well, I think what it does is, and we've talked about this, it is a huge, huge advantage for the Seattle Kraken. This is a big, big win for them. And everybody knows it. They're in a situation where people were saying, we're not going to make the same mistakes we did with Vegas. And now they're going to have a lot of opportunities to do things. It's a big win for the Kraken. And what people should know now also is that if you had a no-move clause that meant that your team had to protect you for the expansion draft, unless you gave them written permission for otherwise, Mm -hmm. it now extends through July 21st. So because normally these contracts end on June 30th. So if you had a no move clause for this year only, it extends through July 21st. And also the thresholds for, because you know there are certain players you have to make available in terms of experience, in terms of games played over this year and last year, Mm -hmm. those thresholds have been adjusted to, you know, count for the smaller schedule. Elliot, players have already received the paycheck, correct? Yes, they received a paycheck at the end of October. What happens to that money if a player opts out? That money was agreed to. If you were on a reserve list at the end of last year, Mm -hmm. at the trade deadline, you were getting that money. Okay, and the tolling issue as well? A big part of all this? Well, basically what happens is this. If you have like a legitimate medical reason for not playing this year, you will be paid. You know, otherwise the teams have the right to decide, are we keeping your contract or are we letting it run for the year? Gotcha. Okay. A couple more things quickly. Uh, Some dates, trade deadline of April the 12th. Uh, The schedule runs January 13th to May the 8th. Uh, We mentioned the expansion draft, July 21st. Uh, NHL draft, July 23rd and 24th. The night of the opening ceremonies. The night of the opening ceremonies as well. Uh, Very good. Can I tell you a funny story about this? Yeah, shoot. I heard about this, the, the opening ceremonies. I had a buddy once was in a bar in New York on the night of the opening ceremonies in Atlanta. And they had like the Mets on or something. And he was like, what? Like, what are you doing? Put the opening ceremonies on. And the bartender looked at him and said, only if you know how to bet on a parade. (laughs) Just as a quick aside, I've only been to one opening ceremony before at the Olympics. Beijing in 2008 was spectacular. Uh, Do you have a favorite? My first Olympics, I didn't get to go to the opening ceremonies, was Salt Lake City. But the first Olympics I worked was Athens. And I wasn't there, but I was around there. I always remember that because it was my first one. So my answer is kind of lame. That's all right. But you were at Beijing, weren't you? Opening ceremonies? Yes, I was. But you know what I did in Beijing? I was the emergency on the desk. So if something had happened in the stadium where they lost the ability to broadcast from there, oh, no way. I was sitting in the studio prepared to back it up. 
So secretly, were you hoping that someone was going to mess up? No, believe me, I did not <laughs> want anyone to mess up. Like the backup goaltender that wants the starter to get shelled? No, get no, no. early in the first? <laughs> There's a pretty funny story about this. So when I worked at the fan, when I started, Ken Daniels was the radio voice of the Maple Leafs on the fan. He would call the games. And there was one night he showed up and his throat was a bit sore. And do you remember Tim Haffey? Of course, Haffey and Dunleavy used to do um, national sports radio. So they were joking that Tim Haffey was pointing a fan at him so Daniels would get sick and Haffey <laughs> could call the game. Uh, was it true? Yes, it probably was. But I would ne- no, no, no. Believe me, I was like, Brian Williams was hosting, my, and I think Peter Mansbridge was hosting with him, and I was like, nothing go wrong. Nobody <laughs> wants to see me tonight. I'll be the most hated man in Canada if, if people have to look at me tonight. They want to watch the pageantry. Let the pageantry go. Okay, so here we go. Season getting underway January the 13th. I didn't even ask you what you thought about this. I mean, you've been sort of in the woods on this one, you know, deep in the forest from day one, uh, mining out whatever information you can. How do you feel about all this? Like just editorially, how do you feel about all this? You know, the number one reason I'd want the everything to play is that the damage it would cause to a lot of people's lives financially if you didn't play. Like we all know a lot of these teams are going to get hammered financially this year. Mm-hmm. But the more you get hit, the more people's jobs get lost. And, you know, these are people who are, you know, work in the ranks. They work for a team. You know, it's it's a job. And, you know, I, I look at a lot about this. And, of course, number one, I worry about people's health. Number one thing you do is you worry about health. And this is risky. There's no question about that. But I've said this many times, Jeff, is that you always worry about taking care of your family. And if you're somebody who was worried about taking care of relatives or children or a parent who's elderly or anything like that, and you you need the finances to do it, I just want people to be able to work. You know, that's what I think of. So And also, I do want people's lives to try to get back to normal as soon as they possibly can, of course, with health being the number one thing. I know there's a lot of people who work with us, Jeff. They worry about, you know, if this season doesn't get played, what happens to my job? Things like that. Those are the people I root for. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that this works and I hope it works safely so that people can get back to their jobs and get back to their lives. That's the way I think about it. Amen. Uh, We wish them all, the NHL, the Players Association, everyone associated with the game, uh, that this thing can not only get started, um, but get concluded successfully as well uh, with everyone's health intact. All right, we're going to hit a quick pause. When we come back, you will hear from Anthony DeClaire of the Florida Panthers. So how did this all come together? In his own words, Anthony DeClaire tells the story on 31 Thoughts, the podcast next. the puck. Duncan Keith looking for his first goal. Now to the slot. Duclair shoots and scores his first goal as a Blackhawk. Anthony Duclair taking a feed from the corner from Alex Dabrinkit. And the hat trick by Anthony Duclair has won the game in overtime here in Ottawa this afternoon. Cross 
to Duclair. He takes a shot and he scores! Anthony Duclair with a power play goal and he makes it a 3-3 game. Oh, coffee doesn't quench my thirst. Moves to the middle a little more for Duclair. Scores! My favorite part of the interview you're about to hear with Anthony DeClaire of the Florida Panthers is Elliot Friedman trying to coax information out of Anthony DeClaire about which other teams he may have spoken to before signing with Florida. It went nowhere. So Elliot's backup plan was, well, does one of them rhyme with Smashville? <laughs> Elliot, well done. We're going to hear from Anthony DeClaire here in a second. Uh, what did you make of his offseason and ultimately his landing spot in Florida? Well, first of all, I just wanted to say that I appreciate Anthony uh, joining us. It gets lost in everything else that's happening. I think this is low-key one of the most fascinating stories about this NHL offseason. And I just wanted to hear what he had to say. You know, I was on your show with um, Brian and, and Stewie on Friday. And, you know, Stewie asked, like, what do you think about what Duclair did? And I just, and you know what my answer was? I just want to hear what he has to say. And I listened. I'm happy I got to hear it in his words. And I really enjoyed listening to him talk about it. And I have to say, Jeff, like, I roll my eyes when you ask people about their junior days. And he loved it. Like he was right into it. So, but I I really have to say, I just enjoyed hearing what he had to say. And a lot of us have talked on his behalf. This was his opportunity to get it out unfiltered and Mm -hmm. almost running this interview unedited, basically, except for yours and my mistakes. So it's, it's, (laughs) it's his ability to speak. Yeah. Like I said, I've done this once before. I started my last negotiations at Sportsnet without a lawyer or an agent, and I didn't like it. I was getting mad. I just realized there was a point where I had to call someone in and just handle this for me because I cannot do this. I respect his willingness to try. It's a brave move. And this is how we we started off the interview by asking him about it. We've seen players do this before. Backstrom, Washington, Doughty, Los Angeles. But those are long-standing relationships with those organizations that the player has. Like there's a familiarity there. I think the fascinating thing about Declare, further to your point, Elliot, is this guy went out into the wild, wild west on his own. If this wasn't like I'm renegotiating, you know, I'm, I'm negotiating a new contract with this team that I've been with for seven or eight years. This is I'm going to market with, you know, nothing other than, you know, my services and my cell phone to offer. That to me makes it so fat makes the, the declare story so fascinating. Regardless of what happened and did he leave money on the table? Like and he mentioned this in the interview too about, you know, learning about things and life lessons and how do you put a price tag? How do you put a price tag on what Anthony Duclair? Like leave the money aside. Elliot, how do you put a price tag on what that guy learned? Like a lot of players will never have those types of conversations with general managers in the NHL while they are playing. That doesn't happen. But the Claire's had those conversations and done it now. That's what makes this thing so fascinating. You know, I would be surprised if he did this again. And I'll tell you this, I think there's going to be a race to represent him. One of the things he said was that he talked to some agents 
And you know, I was talking to some people about the interview. I mentioned that we that we talked to him was dropping an interview tomorrow. And I think there's going to be a lot of interest in him. You know, it sure sounds like he's going to be in position in in Florida to score some more goals, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've they've obviously said to him, "You're going to be in a really good spot." I think there's going to be a lot of interest in him. I don't know if he'll do this again. It certainly sounds like he isn't. But you're right. I think there's a lot of institutional knowledge there. The more I think about it, though, Jeff, the more I wondered about the one question he ducked. There was one question in this interview he ducked and he kind of laughed about it. Yeah. And that's the one I'd like to ask him again in the future. All right. Uh, that's when he makes his second appearance. But here is the first. Uh, this is Anthony DeClaire of the Florida Panthers. And yes, for all you junior hockey fans uh, amongst the uh, 31 Thoughts podcast listenership, there's some good stuff here about his time with the Quebec Ramparts, uh, Patrick Waugh and Philippe Boucher as well. Here is Anthony DeClaire on 31 Thoughts, the podcast. Anthony declare the Florida Panthers first of all thanks so much for doing this and second of all um, I think a lot of people are curious we certainly are about the bold decision to represent yourself and we've seen this before most recently with players Nicholas Backstrom with the Washington Capitals, Drew Doughty with the Los Angeles Kings. But but those were players that were negotiating with teams that they were already on and had relationships with the team, the general manager, etc. You went to market on your own. Take us back to the, the origins of that idea. Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, I just want to take ownership of my own life and my career. You know, I want to learn uh, the business side of the game. And it's just always uh, something I wanted to do. And to be honest with you, it was a great experience. Just uh, having the opportunity to um, reach out uh, to the GMs uh, across the league and not only just negotiate a contract, but just talk about you know myself and my game and how I've overcome uh, these past few years here. And just to tell my story and my side of the story, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know when you have an agent, uh, sometimes they shield you from the truth a little bit. Nothing wrong with that, but uh, you know, I just wanted to hear from GM, see what the, they had to say about me. And uh, I think, to be honest, that's going to help me, you know, become a better player and a better person and, uh, for the future. What was the most eye-opening thing? Like, what's, what's surprise? I'm really curious because that sounds like that does sound fascinating. Yeah. So many players never have that experience. What did you learn? I learned a lot, especially, you know, in the COVID offseason, pretty unusual offseason. Um, obviously, it's the, the market is... Uh, uh, much different than it would be, you know, in, in normal times. But just having the opportunity to see them dissect my game, um, you know, things I need to improve on, you know, constructive criticism is uh, definitely what I needed uh, to hear out of the GMs. And you sort of hear it from from agents and different people like that. But uh, just hearing it from, you know, a GM from himself was, was really eye-opening. And, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed the experience. I'm curious, what was the most eye-opening thing you heard, whether true or not true? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I, I have to get back to you on that one. <laughs> 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 when, when I get an answer, I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. That's a, that's a good question. No. All right. Well, because, yeah. you know, Anthony, I tried this once, too, with my last contract here at Sportsnet. I started off negotiating with myself, and a, and a little while in, I just said, I'm not going to do this. I'm taking it way too personally, and I need to put a buffer between me and them. So you signed a one-year deal. The next one you do, are you going to do it yourself, or are you going to hire someone? 
I think so. Um, for now, um, that's that's just what I believe in. That's just you know my mentality. I'm not doing it completely by myself. I do have um, some people surrounding me, helping me mm-hmm. that I you know I trust and that that know hockey. I had many conversations with you know other agents during this process too. Mm-hmm. And at the, at the end of the day, it's the player's decision uh, what you want to do and uh, agent or not. So for myself, um, you know, I was I was hearing a lot of. Uh, talk from a lot of different directions but at the same time um i just wanted um when it came down to making a decision um you know it was, it was myself and i went with my my gut feeling so anthony when the when free agency started yeah how many text messages did you have that day oh man I, <laughs> so many <laughs> my phone blew up from every which way uh you know agents reporters stuff like that i I kind of feel bad not answering everybody just because, uh, you know, it's not the type of guy I am. I usually pretty quick to get back to people. But, um, yeah, it was a probably overwhelming uh, amount of text messages and phone calls. But at the same time, I just had to lock in, uh, focus, uh, you know, reach out to, to the people that I needed to reach out to at the time. And, uh, and yeah, I, I need, definitely need to change my number after this for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm, I'm curious what did you hear that you liked from bill zito gm of the panthers bill zito was uh the first gm i talked to um on the first day of free uh free agency and uh the gm i talked to the most out of any gm and uh for we've been you know on and off talks for months talks weren't really about you know negotiating contract it was more about myself, about the team, about the the vision uh, that he sees for this hockey club. Um, you know, I got the chance to, to to be with him in Columbus, and I know how he he operates. I know how how happy he is to be in Florida, and I know that he's gonna do everything possible to to make this a, a winning franchise. So, um, I've had the you know great talks with him since day one. Um, I know he's very excited. I'm very excited to be playing for him and be playing for Coach Q again. I just feel like uh, this is a great opportunity for myself. Now, was there anyone else that you almost signed with? I would say, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't want to name the teams, but uh, I want to say in four or five team uh, area that was, you know, heating up here in the past couple of weeks and in sort of fit. Uh, you know, it's not really about the money at this point in my career. And, you know, obviously in a 56 uh, game season, it, it was always uh, around a one or two year deal, but. For myself, it was more uh, finding the right fit just because, you know, obviously been bouncing a lot uh, in the past few years and I just want to uh, find a home and I think I'm still pretty young. So I, I'm i trying to, you know, find, build a home here in, in Florida. Hopefully uh, I want things to work out here. I'm going to do everything possible for it to work out. But um, in terms of fit, I think Florida was the best option for myself. I'll, I'll try it this way. Does one of them rhyme with Smashville? <laughs> you're good at it you're, you're really good <laughs> i'll say you're really hot on that one i'll say you know the the one thing i wanted to ask you Anthony, there was a wild report that you turned down like a three-year four and a quarter million dollar deal per year with ottawa i don't think that's true but i did hear they had a two-year deal on the table i just wanted to ask you just to clear the air just your feelings towards Ottawa and what kind of negotiations you had with them. Yeah, I mean, obviously that uh, report, as you like, you mentioned, is pretty wild. <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not no idiot. Um, mm-hmm. 
no, that's uh, obviously not true. But uh, yeah, I respect Ottawa for their decision. I honestly, you know, when they didn't qualify me, I was as shocked as anyone. Um, I really thought that we were going to come into agreement with Arb or even without Arb. I, you know, I just thought that, you know, that was a, that was a great fit there. I, I, I played well there uh, the past year and a half. I uh, had a great relationship with the coach. Everybody, you know, liked me. I liked the city. If you knew me personally, you know, I was, I was speaking highly uh, of Ottawa. You know, it's it sucks the way it turned out. But, uh, no, it was actually only offered a, a one-year deal. Pierre did give me the option uh, after agreeing to a one-year deal to move along to a two-year deal. But uh, there was never a two-year deal on the table. It was always uh, leading to a one-year deal. Um, and it's, you know, I've obviously refused the offer because I thought um, I would have got more in ARB. So mm-hmm. um, I'll just leave it at that. But uh, I respect their decision uh, moving forward. Obviously, I think Pierre has done a lot of great moves after free agency, um, signing Dadnov and adding key pieces. So, you know, they're, they're again better as an organization. And, uh, and I wish them the best of luck. You mentioned getting back together with Joel Quenville. Uh, you were, of course, uh, together with the Chicago Blackhawks. What is it that you like about Quenville? I mean, I've, we've talked to so many different players who who speak glowingly about Quenville. What does he do that lets a player like you say, I want to get back with this guy? What's so special about Quenville? Just the, the, the freedom uh, in the offensive zone. I mean, he's obviously such a great coach. I, I had the pleasure of working with him in uh, in Chicago and uh, just seeing him work with, you know, high, high skill forwards like uh, like Kaner and, and Taze and, and guys like that, just letting them, you know, ride in the offensive zone at the same time being very, you know, very uh, defensively, um, you know, sound. Um, you know, that's really a big reason why, you know, I, I chose to sign um, in Florida, um, just that, that familiarity with Coach Q, I, I know that uh, he was very happy uh, me signing there. We we talked yesterday for a little bit, and um, you know I, I just can't wait to get down there and uh, and lay out a plan for us uh, for the season. You know, you mentioned that the, you wanted to create a situation that was good for you. Mm-hmm. When you talked to Florida, what was important to you? What did you tell Bill Zito and Joel Quenville that mattered to you for you to commit to them? I wanted them to believe in me. And, uh, you know, uh, like I said, we had really uh, a lot of conversations w- w- with Bill. And um, you can just see that, uh, you know, he really puts trust in me. He wants me to be a leader right away in this hockey club. That was something that uh, that was huge to me. Um, if I had the opportunity to go back to Ottawa, that's what I would tell Pierre, too. I'd be ready to step into a leadership role. i not talking about having a letter on my jersey, but just being – Big, a bigger voice in the locker room. I'm, I'm starting to get a little more years under my belt in this league and um, obviously bounce around a lot. So I, I have a lot of experience in that. And, you know, I, I just want, uh, you know, a coach and a GM and organization that, that uh, believes in me and it's going to have my back. And um, I think that was very important for me in, in this stage of my career. Did you say, like, I'm not coming unless I get to play with Barkov? Like, don't even bother me with anything besides that? <laughs> no, I, I did not. But he did uh, He did mention he, he'd love to, to see us play together with uh, uh, Hubert O and guys like that. So, obviously, um, that sparked a lot of interest in me in, in coming down. I mean, it's not uh, on every team that you get uh, two A-plus centers, um, you know, on the same team. And those guys are obviously very special players. Playing against those guys, it's very hard to defend. So, um, maybe just having the opportunity to to play with these guys um, or even if I'm not playing with these guys, just being around them every day in practice, uh, I think it's going to make me better. It's going to push me 
um, and elevate my game to another level. Who from the Panthers has reached out to you? Not the organization, you know, not the coaching staff. Or the, like, who from the team itself? Which players have reached out to you? A couple of guys. Uh, Barkov, he reached out like a minute after the news broke out. Uh, Yandel, uh, Connolly, I know. Vinny Henestrosa uh, from uh, Chicago. Right. Who else? Uh, Wenberg, Nudevara, a couple guys. So it's it's nice to see uh, going to a locker room with some familiar faces uh, instead of going to a locker room where I haven't met anybody before. So it's uh, it's going to be fun for sure. Now, Jeff has about 30 questions about playing for the Quebec Ramparts. So it's I'm true. Ask, <laughs> it's true. I'm going to ask this one first. You were down in Arizona at where you live, and you were there for the Matthews, McDavid, and Jonathan Taze was there skate. What were those like? What was it like to, to be part of those workouts? Those were the best skates I've ever had in my life. And uh, <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I hope uh, we, we do that again at some point. You know, that just elevates your training to a different level. You know, guys are going hard out there. And, you you know, we didn't have a, a season. And guys are, you know, playing like it's game seven. We're very all competitive, obviously. And when the games get after the flow drills for half an hour and the four on fours and the, and the three on three end zone start going, it's actually pretty special to see uh, these guys work. And at the same time, it kind of sucks that there was no like cameras or anything like that because uh, there was some highlight real goals that <laughs> people will never get to see <laughs> and uh, on a, an empty ring. So, um, no, but for sure, like I said, uh, that was an unreal experience. I really hope that uh, uh, we do that stuff again because uh, that really elevates your, your training to a whole different level. What was the most impressive thing you saw? Oh, man, I want to say um, a backhand one-hander for McDavid, sauce bar down. Wow. Yeah, like going, going with a guy on his back. <laughs> <laughs> a guy on his back. I don't know. I don't remember who, uh, but he had a guy on his back. So he was forced to take the puck on, on his one hand and sort of like that Crosby goal where he scored in Buffalo. Yeah. But it was like a, a perfect sauce bar down on the one hand, going full speed of the guy on his back. I've never seen that before. Wow. Now I'm even angrier that there's no video. Yeah, and we all sort of like paused and looked at each other and like, what just happened kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Matthews uh, too, like he's, yeah, this guy gets on a breakaway. You can just look the other way. You know what's going on. Um, it's kind of frustrating because we're, we're always playing against those two two guys. Those two guys are on the same team. So you can imagine the, the kind of plays uh, they were drawing up there. And, and in the little three-on-three end zone, uh, it was kind of really special to see. And when you're seeing that stuff, you know, that just pushes you to, you know, make something happen the next shift you get out there and stuff like that. So, uh, like I said, those are some highlight real goals from pretty much everybody out there. Okay, you ready for some junior hockey questions now? Sure do. Okay, here we go. So uh, one of my most memorable experiences was Memorial Cup 2015. It was a legendary Coliseum. Um, you know, it didn't work out great for your ramparts, but it was the, you know, the final event at one of the great uh, hockey arenas of all time. I'm curious about a couple of things. One, the game against Kelowna, and you know where I'm going with this one, the semifinal game, I think they're winning 4-1, to one, maybe 5-1. to one. Madison Bowie, can't remember what he did, but there was no penalty called. You guys had a bunch of penalties called against you. And all of the sudden, and I remember this specifically because you just mentioned McDavid. So uh, McDavid was there. He was up in the booth with me and Todd Warner. 
Uh, we're going to do a, a second intermission interview with him. He was going to win the CHL Player of the Year the next day at the CHL Awards. And all of a sudden, the garbage starts to hit the ice. And it wasn't just like one or two tin cans. Like, Ellie, you should have seen. It was littered. And McDavid's like, what is going on? Like, he's never, what have you ever seen anything like this before? Yeah. It was, what What was going through your mind? I mean, uh, the officials were Olivier Gouin and Jonathan Allaire, uh, who had to duck for cover. What were you thinking as that was going on? Oh, man, it's it's tough to see. But I, I know those uh, two refs weren't uh, public, uh, probably <laughs> public uh, enemy number one in Quebec City um, and yeah. have been and have been for a couple of years. <laughs> Quebec fans are just uh, very passionate fans. Obviously, that's that's what you you love to play for. And, um, you know, it was just unfortunate uh, that a lot of calls went uh, didn't go our way. And, um, you know, the fans, uh, you know, reacted that way. But uh, yeah, I've I haven't seen that uh, ever or in a while, and yeah, it was just uh, not the best thing to see, especially in the Memorial Cup uh, setting. Passionate fans, though, and we saw that every yeah, night. Didn't matter what the game was, and I'll tell you what: yeah. some of the most passionate games in that tournament. And you guys had a great final uh, with them, one for the ages, really. Ramparts versus Ramuski, uh, the Oceanic. What do you remember from that? Uh, not just that rivalry, but whether it's you know the playoffs or the Memorial Cup. Those were those were two teams that you just wanted to see play. You know, like a best of twenty seven. Yeah. Because the, the the style matchup was so great. Yeah, that was uh, that was unbelievable. We we had some really good battles during the season too, and. Uh, I can really tell that uh, the, us, the Ramparts, and uh, Rimouski were the two top teams in that league all year. And uh, yeah, that uh, seven-game series in the finals was, and then losing, in, uh, you know, in overtime was uh, definitely heartbreaking. I still think about it to this day. Hmm. And if you go back to actually the, the first round of that playoff, you know, we took it to Game Seven. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and I remember uh, Philip Boucher coming in the locker room with the owner. <laughs> And probably and, and almost threatening us <laughs> to not lose this game if we don't want to if we don't want to do suicides for a month. So, uh, so the guys uh, definitely locked it in the rest of the playoffs, and it was actually smooth, pretty smooth sailing till the finals. And then, yeah, um, yeah, Rimouski was uh, such a such a tough team to beat. They just had um, a lot of depth players that were playing very well, and um, yeah, that was a really good battle right to the end. Let me ask you about a couple of players that people uh, will know, because there's plenty of players in that team that I'm kind of surprised never really caught on in the NHL later. I mean, Vladimir Kachev, I thought, was a remarkably skilled player. Yeah. But I, I want to ask you about one player specifically, and that's Ryan Graves, mm. uh, who played was a defenseman on uh, on the Ramparts with you. And over the past couple of seasons, this year specifically, really came into his own mm-hmm. with the Colorado Avalanche and just a uh, bullet of a shot like a just a bomb from the point what are your memories of playing with ryan graves like because this is this is a guy that now is really starting to hit his stride in pro yeah i mean he was uh he was our number one guy uh you know we really relied on him heavily he played heavy minutes every single night um if we didn't have him in the lineup we'd be we'd be lost without him and um yeah i'm just uh, really happy that he came to his own this year 
took a little bit of time, but uh, you know he's he's in a great situation there in Colorado. He's playing heavy minutes, has uh, playing an unbelievable team. So um, no, and, and and when he was with us in Quebec, uh, yeah, he was a he was a big rock out there and blocked every shot, uh, played the all situations, uh, PK and power play. Yeah, uh, I mean he's he's worked very hard to get to where he is. Uh, you know he he grinded uh, in the A for a couple of years, and um, it's nice to see a guy like that finally. Uh, flourish in uh, in the NHL. One final question uh, about your time with the Ramparts. Uh, after that uh, that final game uh, against Kelowna, and that was it for the Ramparts, and there was going to be one more game at the Coliseum, Oshawa against Kelowna. Oshawa won the Memorial Cup, Anthony Sorelli with the Heroics. Uh, I remember after that game, all the guys were leaving, and I want to go back just to see if if any of your teammates went out on the ice. And I got a picture somewhere of Kurt Etchegary. Mm-hmm. standing out there at center ice of the Coliseum. And I followed up with him afterwards and he just wanted to, you know, take in the moment, you know, this hockey cathedral is, is, is coming down, giving way to La Centre Videotron. And uh, I wondered, you know, anytime I get a chance to talk to anyone from that Ramparts team, was there anything that you did at the end of that night? I mean, you're a Quebec born hockey player. Coliseum is a legendary uh, hockey arena, Echegaris, you know, emotional at, at center ice after uh, getting changed with the guys uh, after the loss to Kelowna. Was there anything that you did? Um, yeah, I, I kept my gear on for for the longest time. You know, that was obviously very emotional. Um, <clears throat> and I and I know for for him, for everything he's been through, um, I know he's had a couple heart surgeries and stuff like that. For him, the battle yeah. and um, throughout his career, and then. Uh, to go out, uh, you know, that was probably his last hockey game. You know, it's, it's pretty sad, but uh, at the same time, you know, it's another chapter you got to move on to. And, um, you know, he's living a happy life. I know that right now in Newfoundland. And after what I got, put my suit on, I, I took a last look uh, at the Coliseum at the bench. And um, just to soak it all in, I spent a great uh, three and a half years there. I'm always going to remember my time in Quebec City. I've gone back in the summer a couple times the past few years. And, um, it's always going to hold a special place in my heart. And I'm sure it's going to do the same thing for Kurt also. For sure. There's very few places that would be better to play junior at than Quebec. I can't imagine there's much better yeah. at all. Fantastic. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Like, I was planning to go college. Um, a lot of people would never believe me, but, um, you know, I was pretty set on going to, like, Boston University or Boston College. I think it was down to those two. I had visited them, uh, I think, twice. And uh, just love the atmosphere, watch a couple of games, watch how, um, you know, the student section would, would lit up and stuff like that. And I was pretty much set uh, at 15 years old. And I told, uh, you know, my, my family advisor at the time to let the Q teams know that I wasn't coming to, to the Q. And, um, you know, Patrick was still uh, took a double on me in the third round. And I even went to visit him, went to talk to him and I saw the facility and um, right away that changed my mind and uh, yeah I was just really happy that I made that decision and will never regret it yeah that, you know what that's a, that's an interesting point because everybody thought you were going to the USHL I think yeah. was it Omaha who was it Lancers that had your rights no Dubuque Fighting Saints Dubuque right yeah everyone thought you were going to USHL yeah I, I mean I I was set on it I was set on going there and um, sort of taking the same route uh, Mikey Matheson did mm. um, going there for one or two years and then he went to BC and I was taking the same route um, I know Jim Montgomery was a coach at the time, and um, he, ju- he had just had coach Johnny Johnny Gaudreau, and you know I studied the team. I, I, I looked at the city. I was almost like, um, and then they, they drafted me in the second round, and I was pumped to go. 
so that was all set up to go there. And then, like I said, got drafted by Quebec after, and that uh, totally switched my mind. What's your favorite Patrick Waugh moment? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, let's hear this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably uh, <laughs> him doing a video session, screaming at the boys in his boxers once. <laughs> <laughs> like just boxer shorts, nothing else? Just boxer shorts. And it's like kind of like hilarious because like he's like getting all mad, getting all red, and he's screaming at some of the guys and and he's wearing boxers and it's like kind of <laughs> tough to like take him off serious but like um but yeah he's he's a character he, he was really fun to play for that was a really good experience especially as a 16 and 17 year old i definitely learned a lot from him okay hang on let me follow that up with another one uh for those that know the coach will appreciate it what's your favorite philippe boucher moment philippe boucher oh um Probably him um, <laughs> chirping me when I came back from New York, uh, chirping me in front of the whole team, probably telling the team to <laughs> to take the whole organization out for dinner just because I, I, I made so much money <laughs> after two paychecks. <laughs> um, I guess the last question I have for you, Anthony, just though, looking back over the past couple of months, anything you regret, anything you would change? I mean, uh, regret, no. Um, I just feel like I, I can keep learning from this experience and keep growing as a person, as a player. Um, like I said, this experience is, is only going to make me stronger mentally. And in the future, I, I really see uh, myself learning more about the business of hockey and, and see how things work. And I did see a little bit of that uh, this off season, And, you know, I would have loved that uh, it, it wouldn't be a, a COVID off season. Things I think mm-hmm. would have been a little bit more smoother, but I'm really happy um, where I am right now. Um, I'm really happy at this stage I am in my life right now. Uh, I can't ask for more than being 25 years old, you know, playing in uh, in Florida for the Panthers with, uh, you know, a great a great organization. And uh, I'm just going to take it from here and learn from my experiences and, you know, try to be better every single day. This has been a lot of fun. Listen, I know, Anthony, this podcast sort of turned into 31 Junior Hockey Thoughts. Uh, We appreciate you uh, sticking with us through all of it and being very generous with your time on a Saturday evening. Thanks so much for stopping by today. Best of luck with the Cats. I appreciate that, guys. Thank you very much for having me. I really hope, Elliot, that everybody who listened to that Anthony DeClaire interview enjoyed listening to it uh, as much as we did conducting it with DeClaire. I wish that guy the best. I I really do. It's been a really interesting uh, and educational and maybe bizarre uh, offseason for Anthony DeClaire coming off a 23-goal season, a successful campaign uh, with the Ottawa Senators, always been loaded with skill, always been loaded with potential, You know, going back to playing minor hockey in Quebec. I hope he finds a home and I hope he's really successful there. I always have time for people who bet on themselves. So, you know, I I want people to succeed. At the end of the day, I just want people to do well, especially now. So, yeah, I'm with you on this. Okay, as we head into a new week, uh, one that's full of optimism. Uh, What do the Taoists say? Backs to the shade, bellies to the sun. New week is upon us. Elliot, what are you looking for? Well, the schedule, I think that's what everybody's kind of wondering right now is what's it going to look like? 
And, you know, what are our games going to be? What's, you know, is it going to be baseball-y? How often are teams going to play? Are we going to have those back-to-backs? We're all expecting it, and uh, I'm really curious to see it. Okay, so still plenty of questions, uh, but the big hurdle has been jumped over right now. There is a commitment from the NHL and Players Association to get a season underway. January 13th, 56 games, the North, the West, the Central, and the East. Although they might be changed. Uh, they, you notice they put an asterisk. We reserve yeah. the rights. Are you surprised they didn't go with historical names? If they're just going to do it for one time? No, I'm not surprised because I'm sure they have to figure out what the names are going to be. Because it, like, let's just say, for example, you do Gretzky, Lemieux, Howe, and Richard. People are going to bitch. So you just kind of have to make sure you get the right ones, right? Oh, you get the snub conversation. Yes. Hey, listen, I live in talk radio. I need content. The snub conversation is easy. <laughs> you just go, you just go to the phones. I can't believe they snubbed player X. Fill in the blank. It's two weeks of content. <laughs> That's why I'm sure they're sitting there saying, "All right, if we're going to do this, this is how we're going to do it." All right, listen, everyone, thanks for joining us uh, today. I hope you enjoyed the piece with Anthony DeClaire again. Thought he was fantastic. We will have, Elliot, true or false, one more podcast this week. Uh, Yes, we're going to do one more. I think we're going to drop it on Christmas Eve. Is that right? Yep. There's our producer. We're dro- that's Amal. Thanks, Amal, for your great input on this podcast. Uh, we're going to drop this on uh, Christmas Eve, so we've got one more. We'll give you our Christmas wishes then. All right, perfect. Uh, all right, everybody. Optimistic week. Fingers crossed. Be well. Uh, be good. We'll talk to you on Christmas Eve. Dancing in my room, swaying my feet, trying to get you love and a kiss on the cheek. Calling candy skies like I'm stuck in a dream. And I've been feeling blue. You're the one that I need. Dancing in my room, swaying my feet, trying to get you love. Yeah.